Welcome to Podcaster News Show, episode number 42. This is the podcast where we cover uh, podcast-related topics that weren't quite enough on their own for us to write about them on the podcasternews.com blog. My name is Sean Thorpe, and I'm with... I am Jen Thorpe. And what is our first item on the list today, Jen? The first item today is titled, Podcasting Gives Brands a Voice... So why don't more companies podcast, which is a reasonable question. This is written by Chris Lee on the City AM website. And this is talking about pretty specifically podcast listenership in the UK. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where he's at. Um, I don't know if he's there, but that's where he's writing about, right? And the idea seems to be that you know, there are things that businesses can do with podcasts that they can't really do otherwise and how it would help them. And I think it's things we've heard before, but they're relevant. Um, original content, you know, what your business puts out is original content and, and no one else has it. A personal voice, being able to hear an organization speak and give advice, you know, sounds more authentic than maybe reading it or something like that. Um, increased dwell time. Now, that's one I've never heard of before. And that means, yeah. you know, if you're listening to a podcast on someone's website, you have the website open in front of you. So Google thinks that's great because it means someone's hanging out on your website longer. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's probably true, but it kind of feels like a gimmick, you know? Yeah, it does. I think the better way to try to quantify this notion of dwell time i mean i get it because yeah okay but i don't know i feel like this kind of assumes that a person would go to a website press play on a an, an embedded player and sit there with that site you know actively open on their screen and i am no expert when it comes to the whole google analytics thing mm -hmm. but i don't I don't know if, like, say you open a new tab or a new window, if that's still considered, you know, if you're still considered to be active and open on that site or if that changes things. But I, I think a better way to maybe quantify this is not so much about, you know, that person sitting with your website loaded, but instead thinking about them more or less spending time with your brand. You know, if you're trying to promote a brand then uh, that, you know, the, the, the length of your podcast is essentially the dwell time that they would have with your brand. And that could get, you know, potential customers to connect more with your brand and thus potentially become a customer if they're not already. At the very least, it might help someone remember your brand. Right. You know, you stared at the website for long enough or, or whatever, or you heard the name of the brand enough times in the podcast to listen to, that kind of thing. That could work. And some of the rest is things you'd, you'd expect. You know, portability, you can listen to a podcast while you commute, that kind of sure. thing. Um, new discovery channels he's got in here, meaning like if mm. somebody's sitting there on iTunes going, I need something new to listen to, maybe your podcast would be found. And same with yeah. SoundCloud, and it's a way to like spread your brand around a little bit farther. Ease of creation, I think that varies depending on yeah, how well that's... you are adapted to podcasting. Yeah. You know, if you're brand new to podcasting, it's not going to be easy. It's all new to you. But he was saying that he does interviews with people and uses a clip-on mic to make that easier. Sure. But like, you can't go from, hmm, I've never done podcasting, and I think my brand, my company really needs one, to I'm going to go out and do interviews live. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a gap in there. But, I mean, you could get there eventually, but you're not going to start there, you know? Yeah, it it is a case-by-case -case basis, you know, how quickly uh, someone can go from not making a podcast to making one and having it sound good enough that you would feel comfortable enough having that represent your brand in public. And, you know, that's a whole other discussion to have right. because even though in this case he's talking about, you know, using his simple uh, clip-on mic or you can interview people with a Skype recorder, that's all true. But If you're brand new, like yeah. if your brand is brand new to podcasting. There's varying <laughs> levels at which you can do any of that stuff and do it you know, at what you might call an acceptable level. Right. So right. I guess that's just something to consider if, if you yourself have a brand that you think needs a podcast, but you've never podcasted before. 
I, I feel like that particular person is probably not listening to the show, but probably not. <laughs> but you never know. You know, yeah. they could be listening to a show in a household where someone else is listening to it. That's sure. interested. Yeah, who sure. knows? But um, you know, that's the kind of thing. And then he says, "Utilize your network," which I think is one of those phrases that could mean anything you yeah. want. Yeah, you know, really. Um, so I mean, I, it's valid to be in there, but I don't feel like I personally get a lot of information from that phrase. You know, yeah. um, you know, it just it just isn't. But uh, the other interesting thing in here is. In this article, he says, according to data, the UK is behind the US in podcast consumption, yeah, but I think, is increasing popularity yeah. as a medium. So I did not know that. I kind of assumed when they say, oh, podcasts are on the rise, and you see all these articles about that, you know, this is the year of the podcast and everything. I assume there's some like worldwide data, you know, yeah, there, but maybe yeah. not so. Um, so anyway, you know, I think that these uh, little pieces of advice here from City AM um, are good. If you already yeah. have an established brand, you've been around for a while, you've got, you know, your logo and your, you know, social media sites and you have all this stuff and you just want to add something, you know, right. but unless your brand is uh, a podcasting company or a company that makes things podcasters physically use to make podcasts, you don't want to start with the podcast itself. Right. Yeah. But it's some good advice. So we'll move on to our next item here. This is called... Podcast Suicide, colon, Five Errors to Avoid by Charlotte Micklewright for Spreaker Blog. I feel like we've probably discussed something in the past written by her. It seems like a familiar name. It does, yeah. And there's some good advice in here, and there are some things that I didn't particularly like, but the the gist, as the article says, uh, the title says, Five Errors to Avoid. And, um, you know, the first thing on, on her list, refusing to recognize your target audience, that obviously makes a lot of sense. If you're doing a show that is about, say, knitting, and you are promoting it on, uh, you know, forum boards and things that are devoted to video games, you're probably going to have not the best... Right. Response right. there. Now, there I mean, is some crossover. Always, there's you know? crossover there's some in crossover. There but. are some people who play video games that are knitting and crocheting uh, characters from the game. Yeah, and little I dolls. Get that. But that's going to be a that. very small group compared to if you went to like a knitting the, site or yeah, something. Yeah, there will be, there'll be some cross-pollination everywhere. Or I think maybe a better example of this, and this is something that has been consistent for as long as podcasting has existed. And there are a lot of new podcasters that seem to think that no matter what their podcast is, like our podcast that we're recording right now is about podcasting. Right. So our target audience would be people who are producing a podcast, considering it at somewhat of a serious level, or perhaps those who are just sort of around the industry right and are just trying to kind of you know stay informed on things that are going on that's really our target audience mm -hmm. but a lot of new podcasters regardless of what they might be podcasting about seem to think that their target audience is actually other podcasters and that's why a lot of the online groups devoted to podcasting discussions that you know, are kind of all-encompassing, have rules about no self-promotion because if you don't do that, then what happens is after about two weeks, your group is just filled with people going, here's my latest step, here's my latest step, here's my latest step. Right. Mm -hmm. And you, there's no other, no other discussion can take place. See, so that's, that's really weird too because you would figure if you were a podcaster and you were hanging out in a group of podcasters on some online forum of some sort... You think you would think that your assumption would be, hey, all these other people make podcasts too. They could probably find mine if they want to. I don't yeah. need to post every episode in here. You yeah, know what I mean? That's true. I think that would be like the assumption, but I also think that sometimes with those groups, and I'm not part of any groups of these, I'm so I'm guessing. No, Jen is not a joiner. I'm not a joiner. I'm really not. Um, especially if it's on Facebook, because I don't use Facebook. So right. if it's on Facebook, I'm not there. Um anyway, I think some people that come in and go, ooh, here's a group for podcasters. I'm going to advertise mine in here, kind of advertise and run away. 
Yeah, well, like that, they don't really participate yeah, beyond that. That, that is, know? yeah, that kind of drive-by spamming is a lot of of what I'm talking about. So, you know, my point is that that is actually a bad example of, or or an example of not recognizing your target audience right. and thus going, you know, against the advice here. So, uh, overall, I think that this is good advice, and I think that. The key takeaway is just understand who your audience is and where they are, and it'll be easier for you to connect with them. But uh, and and while Charlotte doesn't necessarily suggest this, uh, I'll just tack on. However, you're going to promote your podcast to people. Try not to be super spammy about it. Right, because then people tune out. Uh, number two on her list, not having a pre-launch marketing plan. I, yeah, I get this. It's a logical thing to do. It's a logical thing to do at the level to which you can do it. And this That's is where her, to this grasp, is where her yeah. specific advice kind of starts to lose me. She says, create a launch team of 20 plus people that commit to downloading and sharing your podcast with their with networks. With all of their networks, with all their uh, networks too. Now, I'm, how do you do this? If you're a brand new podcaster, okay, or you're the guy that has been, uh, or girl, has that has been assigned uh, by your employer to make your brand's podcast or something like that, you yeah. know? I mean, you're just starting out. How are you supposed to do that? You know? How are you supposed yeah. to do that? Like, this assumes that everybody that's online is uh, constantly networking. And there's a lot of people that do. do, So maybe that's who it's targeted to, you know. But, like, if I'm on social media, I'm connected to people that I want to talk to or that write stuff I'm interested in reading or do a podcast I like to listen to, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm not out there going, oh, that person is kind of involved in podcasting, so maybe I should, like, you know, connect them with my show. You know, I'm not – that's just not how I do it. Maybe I'm doing it wrong, you know. But to have 20 people, like, I'm trying to remember, like, back in the day when you and I first started podcasting, you know, and not necessarily the way the internet was back then, but kind of where our mindset was and how we were working our way through how to do this kind of thing. How do you get 20 people, you know, how do you get 20 people that can pass that around for you that you know will do it, that matter to you, that also have large groups to pass it around to that will care, but not too large a group will get blown away, you know, by everything else they post. How do you do that? And how do you explain, well, here's what my podcast is to this group of people when you're still learning what it's going to be? Yeah, I And how do you do this? This is supposed to be a pre-launch marketing plan. So what does this mean? Did you record, you know, 40 episodes first (laughs) and and you've already got all that worked out and now you're going to launch it? Like you would do a book, you'd have a finished book and then launch it? I mean... I don't know. I mean, this has always yeah. confused me. Maybe I just don't think in a marketing yeah, I, kind of way. I, I think I think to an extent I'm kind of maybe stuck in the same mindset. I don't recall this phrase, launch a podcast, being used in podcasting until about three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. But this is talking about a pre-launch team. This is even yeah, before that. That's what I mean. Like this whole idea that... Like every time that I've started a new podcast, I've just recorded an episode, put it online, and then submitted it to the various syndication points and promoted it as best I could and gone on with my life. I didn't have a checklist. You know, it's just it's just a different mindset, I guess, from how I approach things. Yeah, and I again, I don't necessarily think any of this is is bad. No, it could advice. be good for someone don't. like if you're someone who's launching a new podcast and you belong to like I don't know NPR or something well, big like that. You know, they're going to help different. you with that launch. Um, yeah. But, I think the average person that's kind of on their own. I don't know how easy that is. It kind of reminds me of like back in the day like almost before the internet became what it is now when bands would come to town and they'd have like a launch team run around and stick stickers on, you know, yeah, street telephone team. poles and stuff, you know, it kind of feels like that only on the internet. Yeah. And I don't know how well that worked, you know? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, number three on her list is pretty obvious, not bothering to submit to iTunes. Of and course, you don't really need to explain that any that's further. That's what you, know? you need to do. Mm-hmm. However, I have to take, I have to take umbrage with, uh, the the boldened second paragraph about the opportunity to be oh, featured no. in new and noteworthy. 
We've talked about that before. I, I, I will admit that any time I see someone drop that as a as a wisdom nugget, the thing about new and noteworthy, then I it it kind of just knocks them down credibility wise in my eyes a little bit because it's kind of a buzz phrase right now. It, well, know? and it's another thing. Again, I don't remember until maybe three or four years ago. All of a sudden, this idea of everybody being transfixed with new and noteworthy, and you've got only a limited time to get in there, none of that has ever been proven. It's mm-hmm. just some it's some idea that you know some some uh, marketing people came up with. I think you're right as it is as a way for them to sell you something. To I sell can get you, you something into new where they new, go, no, yeah, well, I can get you uh, in the new you, and no, noteworthy, which I can't say today for some right, reason. Um, right. If you do this and pay me money, that's exactly. kind of the rest of the phrase in general. Um, but I also got to wonder, like, have you ever like said, hmm, I need a new podcast to listen to. I'm going to look at iTunes new and noteworthy no. and pick one from there. Have you ever done that? No. I haven't either. Now, I'm willing to say that I'm probably not... Uh, typical and for the most part I listen to podcasts through the Overcast app so new and noteworthy which is hand curated by iTunes staff Mm -hmm. actually has no bearing anywhere outside of the iTunes directory so in Overcast whatever you know whatever is new and noteworthy in iTunes is irrelevant in Overcast and presumably pretty much every other podcast consumption app Mm -hmm. so it, it has no bearing and usually for me, again, I'm probably atypical as far as what you might call a, I don't know, a typical consumer of podcasts. I kind of want to dig a little deeper. I'm a lot more interested in the stuff that's, you know, closer to the bottom of the pile than the stuff that's at the top and is has the stuff that's at the top. And I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, society at large has decided is good because a lot of that stuff I find boring. So, you know, I'm not necessarily the the one to to talk about actually using new and noteworthy, but the bottom line for me is I don't like I I would like this whole thing about new and noteworthy and the way that it's been talked about in the last few years to just go away. Bottom line for me. Yeah. Well, I think I think some people are looking at it like if you were a writer and you're trying to get your book on the New York Times bestseller list or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. because that does that can help you or it did at least when most people went into a bookstore to to buy a book, you know, yeah. you'd walk in, there'd be that big display that people could see. Um, now, a lot of people are just buying books online. And who knows if they even look at what's, you know, how many people are looking at that list? You know what I mean? Sure. So I kind of feel like maybe people are assuming that this new and noteworthy is going to function similarly yeah. to that kind of thing for books. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it does, you know, now if you're listening to this and you've like gotten yourself, your podcast, uh, into new and noteworthy, you know, did it help you send us some, send us a comment or something well, like that and, and let us know. I think a couple of things to it. And the first one would be, do you feel like if you, if you're, if you can actually say without a doubt that your podcast landed in new and noteworthy on iTunes, did that occur because of anything you feel that you purposefully did or did it just turn out to be a random occurrence that you discovered one day and then did you find that it actually did anything positive for your show because I've seen over the years a whole wide range of people saying well I was uh, in new and noteworthy and I got five downloads and then I've seen people say I got a new and noteworthy and I got thousands of downloads and of course this is another one of those things that since there's very little public display of podcast stats, anybody can say what they want. True. But uh, anyway, if um, you're listening to this and, and you have any thoughts on it, uh, head over to podcastnews.com. Leave us a comment for this episode 42. Now, the next item on her list, uh, messing up your RSS feed. Of course, you don't want to do that. Of course. Uh, I do appreciate that she says in here, submit the same RSS feed to all distributive platforms because, and I'm going to uh, say two things here because a lot of people will use different, you know, so, sometimes people will use different services together at the same time. 
and those services might provide an RSS feed for them. So I have seen cases where somebody will take one feed and submit it to iTunes to get another feed, uh, submit it to Stitcher or what have you, and that's really problematic, and you don't want to do that. And in fact, uh, one of the larger podcast hosting companies actually does that by default. Uh, they create you know, different, uh, they call them destination feeds, for all the different services and you know they'll they're they're happy to tell you why they think that's a really great idea i don't really agree with them so i do appreciate that she kind of reinforces you know you want your same feed for all the places you go and then finally uploading your podcast directly onto your website now uh we will note again that this post is on the speaker blog which is a company that provides podcast hosting services so uh obviously they Spreaker does not want you to upload your podcast directly to your website. They want you to use a media hosting service like them. Though, in uh, to to credit of of Charlotte and Spreaker, she does list off uh, four different hosting platforms here, and obviously that's good advice because if you are uh, publishing a podcast and you upload your podcast to your own website which most people are using uh, shared hosting services like uh, DreamHost or GoDaddy or what have you. Those sites, while they can store and distribute your media files for you, they're not really designed to, to do that. And people get burned all the time when they think, ah, well, I'm just going to be clever and do this. And then it could be a month or six months or a year or five years down the road. The shared hosting company... Uh, send you an email in the middle of the night and says, uh, hey, uh, this actually violates our terms of service. Uh, you've got you know, X amount of days to stop doing this or we're just going to shut you down. Whereas if you use a dedicated media hosting company like the ones that she's listed here or Spreaker for that matter, uh, then um, you know your, your media is living outside your website and it's on servers that are designed to be able to handle, you know, the spikes that occur when you publish new episodes, et cetera, et cetera. So overall, that's that's good advice. And and I think for the most part, this is a good list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the I only just, thing that throws me is the this 20 person team. Yeah, I'm not I'm not, you know, I I, I like I said, I, I get that advice. It just doesn't apply to me. And then, you know, the the new and noteworthy bit I could do without that. So, OK. Uh, what's next on our list, Jen? Okay, so the next article is titled, Sorry, Virginia, There is No Such Thing as the Perfect Length for a Podcast. This is written by Rob Walsh for Podcast 411, and it is obviously playing off the, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Yeah. Okay, Um, playing off of that, and it has to do, of course, with, you know, what is the perfect length for a podcast? Apparently, he's been asked this, you know, uh, a a lot. Um, Well, uh, not not only that, and... Excuse me for potentially cutting you off, no, go ahead. but uh, there has been some discussion lately based on quote unquote facts. Here, what is the right length for a podcast? Sadly, there are a bunch of at best quote fake news reports on this yeah. with bad info based, I am guessing, on assumptions and pulling data from their nether regions. Because what <laughs> some of these bad posts are saying is quote the ideal length of a podcast is twenty two minutes, minutes yeah. or some other number less than thirty minutes. That's kind of where he's starting from yeah. with this, and he's got a bunch of data in here about how long and um, without just reading you the whole thing. I mean, he kind of explains. Uh, from the data he's got, you know, how many shows are this length? How many shows are that length? Now, I'm not good with numbers. Right. It just doesn't work for me. I'm dyslexic. I guess it's there's a different phrase if it's numbers that affect you more than letters. But numbers perplex me. So I have no idea what he's saying here with that part exactly. But I do get he's trying to say that the idea, the ideal length of podcasts is not, you know, that it is 30 minutes or less is not necessarily supported by data. Right is what he's trying to say. Well, in the numbers that he rattles off here, 84% of uh, all the shows that he surveyed had episodes that were, were 51 minutes or longer. Uh, 10% of those shows that had episodes 30 minutes or shorter. And 12% of those shows uh, had uh, episodes two hours or longer. So the vast majority here were shows that were 
uh, 51 minutes or longer. That's more than twice this magical 22-minute number. And the 22-minute number comes from the research done by Tom Webster uh, that you know indicated that there were more listeners to shows that were roughly around 22 minutes, and that seemed to be some kind of a magical sweet spot. And the problem with that kind of information, and this sort of goes back to the new and noteworthy thing we talked about before, is as podcasting continues to grow and more people want to get into it, they start to try to reverse engineer you know, how to make the Frankenstein's monster of a podcast success. So they go, okay, well, I need to be exactly 22 minutes long. I can't be 21.59 or shorter or 22.01 or longer. And I have to do this and do that. And then I can get into new and noteworthy. I'm going to have tons of downloads. And now you've and made a science project I'm going of a podcast. To, you know what I'm I mean? Going to get, it's just kind of... I'm going to get, you know, uh, BarkBox and Blue Apron as sponsors. I'm going to make lots of money. I'm going to be super famous. I'm going to retri- retri- retire to my island uh, retreat in the Bahamas or whatever. And uh, Rob also goes on to refute something that apparently Nick Quav Hot Pod said in his private newsletter. And I, I think instead of us trying to just rehash all this, the best thing to do is grab the link in the show notes right. and go look at it. One of the things that I, I, I love, and, and we didn't really mention this, and why Rob is a good authority to refute all this is Rob is the uh, VP of Podcaster Relations at Libsyn, right. and he has access to a lot of data because Libsyn is the oldest and the world's largest podcast hosting company. And granted, the information that he has access to as a publishing platform is maybe not necessarily the same as what, uh, say, Tom Webster is looking for in terms of the surveys he does. It's still a lot of valuable information. And I think that the takeaway is that, and as Rob says at the the uh, bottom of his post here, there is no ideal length of a podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. And I tend to agree with that. I, I just, and for me personally, I want podcasts that are longer. I don't really, I tend to not listen to shows that are less than 30 minutes. And if I do, they're not the ones that I like the most or remember. And they're probably going to be the first ones I'm going to cut if I find I'm subscribed to too many shows. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I may be outside the, you know, normal, uh, typical listener. Right. But the point of what I'm saying is podcasting, I think, has always existed in a, a world where you couldn't put all these constraints on it and say, okay, well, now that we've closed it into this this tight little box we can officially anoint it as good and it can be now appreciated by everyone. And I actually like that a lot. That it's not <laughs> I like would, that? I would yeah. rather have podcasting be the way it is. And I and, well, would it's, it's prefer... Kind of, go ahead. I would prefer for people who are getting into podcasting today and every day into the future and those who are... Uh, who have been doing it and continue to do it to not focus on these kinds of things and just make just the do best your show, shows. You know? And, you know, I also wonder in my, um, my, when, when I have, when I go into my dark uh, conspiracy theory place, <laughs> you know, 22 minutes is a good length for a show if, the idea is to sell it to radio people because oh, radio people radio people generally take eight out of every 30 minutes to run ads. And I don't necessarily think that's what Tom's going after here. But if the idea is, you know, there, there, there is a lot of movement now of radio stations finally getting into podcasting for better or worse. And some of these people that are coming over from radio are some of the most just like 
dyed in the wool about how things have to be people that have ever existed and don't understand that podcasting is a very nonlinear, time-shiftable medium. You don't have to worry about uh, you know, hitting all the beats on the the radio clock right. that you know mm-hmm. they've been uh, obsessing over for the for the last however many decades of their lives. So it's real easy if you're trying to sell this to people coming from radio and go, well, hey guys, the perfect length for a podcast is 22 minutes. Here's our data, and they go, hey, that's perfect. It's just like the time clock we had at the station. So all we need to do is is uh, you know put together two four minute stop sets. And uh, we we hit our 30 minutes and we just do that twice for an hour and we're done and we can be done for the day and go home, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. I don't really know. I don't know for sure that that's necessarily what, what's going on here, but I just can't. That was the first thing that, that hit my mind when I, I saw that statistic about these so-called perfect length 22 right, minutes. Right, 22 minutes. You know what it makes me think of? This is going back a bit, but um, Napod Pomo, National Podcast Post Month. Mm. Um, that Jennifer Navarrete started way back in the day, 2007, I think. And mm-hmm. uh, everybody who wanted to join, it actually became international. Um, you know, could do a podcast every day for the month of November of whatever you wanted and as long as you wanted and off you go, okay? Yeah. And so you just post it and, and people listen or they don't or whatever, you know? And there was a lot of interaction with people going, oh, I want to comment on your show because I'm doing this too, that kind of thing. And it was fun. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember anybody that first year having any concern about how long their podcast episodes were or anybody else's. They just kind of right. did and went, oh, this is great fun. Look at all these podcasters. It was 2007, you know? Yeah. And as it went on, um, it did go on more than one year. And there was a point... Uh, where one of the comments that participation uh, participants were receiving from listeners now, not people who were actually doing it with them, but listeners was, well, your shows are too long because I'm getting one every oh, day yeah, and yeah. I'm listening to a few of you that are doing Napod Pomo and I'm not able to keep up with all of this. And it kind of made me go, you guys realize you don't have to listen to everything every day, right? Yeah. You know, you don't have to listen to all of anyone's That's episodes. True. You can skip, you know, pick and choose. You can, it doesn't have to, you know, people who do this and you're listening to it at your own pace, you know, two months later you get to their episode and you leave them a comment and say, this is fantastic. I love this. They're still going to be just as happy, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just was the weirdest thing ever. So when I'm hearing this 22 minutes thing, it kind of makes me think of that. And I'm wondering, where did this concept of, you know, 22 minute podcast actually begin? Because there was this idea in people's heads back then too, you know, yeah. and that was several years ago. It wasn't 2007. It was after that, but right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the next item on our list is will podcasting bring us the next Rush Limbaugh? This was written by Stephen Kent for uh, the American conservative. And this is an interesting thing to consider because there are, it seems, more conservative-leaning media types that are coming into the the podcasting side of things. Uh, Glenn Beck was really the first one to make that shift voluntarily, and then this other guy, Bill O'Reilly, made the shift recently, probably more involuntarily. Yeah, well, I think he had some podcasts that he, <laughs> he was doing before then, but uh, the involuntary one, I we actually I actually wrote about on Podcaster News. The thing that was uh, especially noteworthy in that is he wanted that to be like a paid subscription podcast, right. and that's not generally how most podcasting goes, so I thought that was noteworthy at the time. I'll leave it there. Sure. You can look it up. It's on the site somewhere if you care. Sure. But... Um, yeah, uh, there's quite a few here. It's interesting with this article. It The whole first sentence is just a series of uh, conservative podcasters' names. You know? Yeah, well, radio, well, not radio, all, radio hosts. Radio, I don't radio, know that they all I should have said radio. But I should have said radio. There's all the names that you probably know and love. Limbaugh, Hannity, Beck, Levin, Savage, Ingraham, etc. And I think that the gist of this article is interesting because as he points out, the general demographic for these shows is kind of the older listener. And these may not necessarily be people who are super active in terms of consuming podcasts. But whether any of these radio uh, producers like it or not, uh, podcasting isn't going away. And as... Uh, the article states millennials are the largest generation on earth and their media consumption habits 
are not really focused on radio. They're a lot more about what goes on in their smartphones and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, to them, radio is kind of broken in the sense that they do everything on demand. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're not going to go, uh, well, I need to block out, you know, from uh, two to six so I can, uh, you know, sit in front of the crystal set and tune in, you know, Hannity or Limbaugh or mm-hmm. whatever the case right, is. Right, right. So the a question that he's asking, will podcasting bring us the next Rush Limbaugh? Well, I would probably say that just by virtue of time, it probably will because as these guys kind of, uh, I don't want to say grow old and fade away, but you know they, they're not going to be around forever and presumably, and uh, I'll admit that you know, the uh, conservative media, if you will, is not something that I follow terribly closely, but my assumption is, and, and he mentions uh, Ricochet, the Ricochet Network, which, which I've written about a couple yes, times on Podcaster News which, as well. Which is is a kind of modern uh, podcasting network that is focused towards the conservative media side. Right. But mm-hmm. Not all of it is politics either. Some of it is, but it's yeah. also got other stuff. There's like a geek show on there. Okay. Too, you know, that I just, uh, they just added fairly recently. I don't remember okay. the title, but it's in, it's on the, the website somewhere. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I think almost by just virtue of time, the next, whoever the next Rush Limbaugh is, uh, will be podcasting, only because there won't really be any other choice. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Actually. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of a simple way to answer the question and he has some, you know, good, good points in here, but it does kind of make me wonder when you see again, talking about the millennials and kind of where their tastes seem to, to go towards. I feel like I see a lot more happening in podcasting and new media in general that's geared towards them than perhaps the traditional audience for these conservative shows. And I'm sure like anything, that will change over time as either A, the mindsets of millennials change, and some of them will, or just technology changes enough that podcasting is more a center, you know, center stage in the way people consume media than radio is. And I don't know if I'm explaining myself good enough, but well, let me try to help you. Let me try to help that. you with that a little bit. It's been said, at least with um, American politics, that if you start off, you know, let's say you're in college or you are college age, that age group, and you decide that you are Democrat or liberal somewhere in that spectrum. There's a chance as you get older, you may become more conservative. Yeah. So by the time you're 60 and you're listening to that's it says in here uh, this article that Rush Limbaugh's uh, average listeners in his 60s. Okay. So by the time you're 60 and you're looking for something to you know to listen to, you're looking for someone that's conservative to listen to. Maybe not necessarily right. Limbaugh. Maybe whoever this new person in podcasting will be at that point in time. Okay. If you're talking about you know like a person that's in their 20s right now or something like that, you know. But if you start off as a conservative, you are less likely to change. Yeah. So that's kind of where that goes. So just based on that alone, if the if the idea is that as you age, as people age, the population becomes more conservative. Right. And you want to make podcasts for conservatives, I think you still need to aim towards older people. Yeah. You know. So it depends on now. I hear millennials and everyone thinks, you know, 15-year-olds, but some of them are like 30, you know? Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, a, it's a large group. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if 30-year-olds are necessarily already, that started out very, very liberal or even leaning liberal, you know, moderate liberal or something, you know, not conservative specifically. I don't know that someone between 20 and 30 is already jumped from, you know, Bernie Sanders to Rush Limbaugh. You know what I mean? But um, when they hit 60... They're probably there, you know. Yeah. But how do we know that for sure that that's that you know pattern's going to continue? Right. It does tend to. I mean, I could see where that might be based on what we know. That's kind of where you're going. Um, and millennials right now, of course, know more about how to obtain a podcast and listen to it than people who are in their 60s in general. You know. Um, so that makes sense. But and 
the only like other than like the big names that are on radio and are on TV and things like that and have like politicians come on their shows fairly often or whatever. Um, the only conservative network for podcasting I've heard of is Ricochet. And I look at a lot of stuff about podcasts to write about, you know, sure. I look, I read everything and that's the only one I've heard of. That isn't yeah. connected to like a huge, you know, I mean, you know, Breitbart or whatever that's mentioned in this article. Um, so if you are a conservative person and you are looking for conservative podcasts, it seems that there is a market there like that, that there's potential for growth. Yeah. I just don't know that it's going to happen as quickly as perhaps the writer might think. Yeah. You know, and if you do get that, okay, let's say the next Rush Limbaugh's as this is kind of titled uh is turns out to be someone who is a podcaster who hasn't you know gone on television or you know public radio or regular radio or whatever um it's possible that a lot of conservatives whenever that occurs are going to know who this guy or girl is and totally you know be a super fan and all that stuff but i just because of the nature of podcasting i don't think that person is going to have as easy a time gathering an audience as someone who is a conservative talking head on television right now, yeah. you know, because right now, like if you're in your sixties, you know, you're clicking on to whatever channel Limbaugh's on and you're watching him, whatever time he's on and it's all right there for you, you know, but you kind of mm -hmm. have to go get podcasts. Right. At least at first to subscribe, you know, and I would assume people who are in their thirties now when they become 60, Maybe not too many things will have changed and they'll still kind of get how to obtain a podcast and subscribe. But I kind of feel like even if you have someone that becomes as popular as Rush Limbaugh, who's a podcaster and not, you know, any other path, I think it's still going to be limited. I don't think it's going to be like a nationwide thing. I think it's still going to be aimed at conservatives. Yeah. All right, Jen. Well, what's the uh, last item on our list here? Okay. So this is... Uh, the article is titled, Ivanka Trump had aspirations for a women in business podcast, but alas. And this is written by Tanya Riley for a website called Death and Taxes, which is an interesting title all on its own, yeah. you know? <laughs> Death and Taxes. And basically what it's saying is that um, it, the story is kind of uh, pulling information from the New York Times that indicates that Ivanka Trump, part of her White House agenda was to reinvent herself as a pro-woman corporate feminist. Yeah. Okay, because she's got businesses. You know, I think all of sure. anyone, uh, you know, Trump's kids have businesses and companies and whatever, right? So, I mean, she's had like, um, she had a clothing line and, you know, that kind of stuff. So she has businesses. And um, they pitched to somewhere, okay? I don't know if it was the White House pitched it or if someone pitched it to the White House. Um, a podcast that was never made that would feature Ivanka Trump as a chic business guru. So saith, uh, I think this is pulled from the New York Times. Yeah, it's a block quote. It's a block quote from the New, New York, York Times. Times that's in here. And um, it was going, the idea was they were going to interview women that were, you know, uh, business dash feminism leaders. They're pointing out like uh, Sheryl Sandberg, I think is her first name, Sandberg, yeah. uh, Cheryl. Mm -hmm. uh, Sarah Blakely, who's the founder of Spanx, yeah. which is, if for those of you that have no idea what that is, it's sort of like nylons that uh, don't have feet in them that sort of work to uh contour your body i guess yeah. <laughs> you know that kind of thing um and it's, that's pretty well known that's pretty huge you know so that kind of thing and it was supposed to impact the women who work brand campaign okay the yeah. idea of the working woman and and all this stuff and success and feminine feminine feminism <laughs> i can't talk today at all you know <laughs> anyhow that kind of thing that was the idea it was um you know, they had like, there's a thing, if I can still get this to open up in this article, if you get to this link to it. Yeah, the New York Times has actually a whole thing here on what it looked like. It was pink. It said Ivanka Trump podcast, Women Who Work would have been the title, apparently. And it's got all these pictures of, you know, women that might have been on the show or people behind the scenes and, and all this kind of stuff. But they never launched the podcast. You know, right. and it's interesting because, um, you know, it's talking well, in here maybe, about uh, Ivanka didn't have a network of 20 people that could help spread it. See, maybe, you know, network, I mean, I guess. Network. But it's interesting because they've got like a list of you know women they wanted to interview. They've got people that would have been behind the scenes working on it. It says here, um, you know, the support. It listed how many Twitter followers uh, you know, Facebook fans, people following yeah. on Instagram and subscribers on YouTube and Pinterest. 
I'm not sure how many podcasts are on Pinterest, but okay, you know, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, they had all that in there. And I guess the idea was, well, if, you know, here's the social network support. Now, I don't know just from looking at this little, you know, slide, essentially, <laughs> if this was the assumption about how much her podcast would have fans or followers of, or if this is just Ivanka's personal stuff, you know? Yeah. I don't know. You know, it was just really weird. And um, so they, they planned out this whole thing and it never went anywhere at yeah. all, you know, at all. Um, so I guess uh, the, uh, the article we're linking to on death and taxes was saying um, that the, uh, it, they really critique it. Like they think that, they think that the guests would have been all white women, yeah. but I'm looking at it and I, I don't think they're all white women. There's only six people. There's only six women listed as, I know there's more than six. There's a lot of white women. Okay. Now that I look at the whole group, there's a lot of white women. You no, know, it's, it's um, easy. But, I mean, it's, you know, it's easy like, to make that criticism when there's so little actual information for, for, Something that was never even produced. But see, I mean, here's this the thing, thing though. This is the for, thing that really, this thing like, this had is been the... weekly for a year. They would have eventually, presumably, diversified some. But, but you see, never no, know. No, no. Going back even further, this is a preliminary mock-up kind of thing. We don't even know that these women were connected and said, "Yes, I want to be on the show." Right. You know what I mean? This is like we're just going to guess that these people will want to be on the show. But yeah. putting it together in this way implies that either they have already agreed to be on the show or that uh, the show has been produced but not released. Yeah. And I don't know who exactly that they, you know, like they just. I feel like maybe they just used these women. To say, oh, we're going. This is what her podcast would be yeah, like, I you think know. And it's okay to say, this is what my podcast would be like. Here is my logo. Here is my main idea. This is what I want to do. But when you start including people without, you know, <laughs> right? Do these women know that they were a part of this until they, you know, do they see it on the New York Times and go, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, that kind yeah. of thing? <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of weird. Um, part of the idea apparently was to create product stories for her website and to try to sell her products a little bit more. And it just never materialized. It yeah. never materialized. And it's kind of strange. Like this blog was written May 2nd and the New York times thing was also written on May 2nd. And by that point in time, Ivanka had gone from being sort of a not quite employee of the white house to a, a full employee of the white house. So where would this podcast fit? You know, right. Exactly. I mean, you could do like if it was her brand, if I'm going to say, let's assume that all of the Trumps that are working in the White House have divested fully from their brands. I don't know that they have. Let's assume that's reality. Um, she could maybe theoretically have had like a CEO that isn't her go do the podcast or something yeah. about her brand, maybe. But then it even crosses over with that. Like, is that OK? You know, <laughs> I mean. I don't know why this didn't fly, but there's so many reasons why it might not have been a good idea. Yeah. And it's just kind of perplexing. Um, it's very pink, you know? I don't know if her brand is necessarily pink, but it's very, very pink. And I, I don't know. It just seems kind of weird to me, you know? Does she need this? Well, like, is she not in the public eye enough where, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Who doesn't know who Ivanka Trump is at this point, you know? Well, this is and and by now you already have an opinion of her and her family so right. i mean this podcast wouldn't change it you know probably yeah i don't know it just seems kind of silly this seems to me like not something a podcaster came up with but a business person came up with yeah. and went oh wait you know that article about you need a podcast for your brand <laughs> and kind of tried to craft together this like well in you know you know it in a weird way it ties into our first article which is a does. weird synergy that happens a lot on this show i know somebody maybe maybe somebody you know in in uh ivanka's camp read that first article and they went well, wait a minute our brand doesn't have a podcast <laughs> let's put yeah. it, let's put this pink millennial investment desk together and shop it around and send it to new york times or whatever. yeah well i don't i don't know exactly how new york times got it specifically yeah, I'm sure someone um, leaked it to them. there's a related article here on the new york times if i take two seconds to look at that let's see if okay, it says quickly. um do 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 Okay, this is a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with it. Um, 
<laughs> I don't know. I have no idea how this got to the New York Times. Maybe if I read this more closely, well, I would know. It's but not really that it's just It didn't. I, I thought maybe it would say specifically, oh, yeah. she sent this to us or whatever. But um, it's just kind of like... <sighs> <laughs> I, I just kind of feel like this, like it makes a very pretty published looking document with photos and, you know, hashtags and little pictures of people holding phones and stuff like that. Right. But, and I don't know where these, these graphics, I don't know where these numbers come from. Like if I go on, if I go on Twitter and try to find Ivanka Trump's Twitter account, is it going to tell me she has that many followers? Is that what it's from? Or are they assuming the podcast would have that? And you know, it's very pretty. It kind of looks like a magazine kind of thing. It's got a layout of all her stuff, you know, laying on a table with the Photoshop overhead, you know, the Instagram-y kind of thing, you know. But um, I don't know. I just don't get, like, I don't get what this was intended to be, you know? Well, clearly no one else did either because it was It didn't never happen, made. you know? And it's it's just strange. Like, what was the name of this thing anyway? Women who work. Yeah. Okay. There's probably already a podcast called that. Let's find out. I'm sure that there is <laughs> because it sounds like such a common sounding name. And presuming that they would have. Oh yes, there there to, is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there Pre- is. Presuming that they would have decided to keep that name, which they probably would have, because usually when organizations are this high of a profile they never bother to check and see if anyone else is already using a name they've come up with they just think oh well we must have had it first and we already own it and no one else could possibly have it okay wait no it the one i'm looking at doesn't actually say women who work it says women's work so maybe they stole that you know (laughs) i'm sure if you dug around long yeah i'm not going to right now but it just seems like the weirdest thing like may 2nd by this point in time ivanka was already an official employee with all the stuff you got to do for that in the white house why do you need a podcast yeah you know i mean it's not really normal for people in the white house to have their own podcast not while they're in the white house yeah you know it's strange and i mean maybe this could have been like people who aren't her doing the podcast about her brand maybe but then it would be like Mm -hmm. if you if you like ivanka and you like her brand and you tune in you're going to expect to hear from her yeah you know it just i i'm just incredibly perplexed by what this was supposed to be and how it was supposed to work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've uh, done enough on these topics, unless you got anything else you want to add. No, I think that that covers it. I think we started off with, you know, why does your brand need a podcast to don't do it this way? You know, I think that's how we've come around with this. Well, thank you for listening. This has been podcaster news show. You can find us online at podcasternews.com. We'd love to Get some feedback from you. You can uh, leave a comment under this episode or any past episode. And uh, we may even uh, read that out on a a future episode. So uh, this month we fulfilled our promise. We did two shows in in one month, which is something we haven't done in a while. Mm -hmm. So again, thanks everyone for listening. And uh, with any luck, we'll see if we can repeat this and be back in a couple weeks. Bye, people.